Our reading this morning is being taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, and starting at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Good morning, good morning, one and all. Uh, lovely to see you, Some. Let me lead us in prayer one more time as we look at this passage together. Father, here is a delightful picture of your church working well. Uh, and here is what happens when your spirit is at work. Please would he be at work this morning again amongst us as we turn to your word. Would you change us? Would we hear you speak? Would you address us where we need to be spoken to, be it encouragement or correction, so that collectively we become a church which models to a world uh, much that this one did in the first century, we pray. Amen. Now, most of the time I'd say I love coming to church. Sometimes I do not. Sorry. Uh, Most of the time I think I leave church uh, delighted. Uh, Sometimes I do not. Sorry. Um, But I take it, unless you are all far godlier than me, you share somewhat of that experience of most of the time enjoying coming, but sometimes uh, less good. It's quite hard to walk out saying, I loved church when you're jet-lagged and exhausted and barely staying awake, or um, someone says something just very insensitive to you, or uh, you can vaguely hear at the fringes or quite close to your ear your own child screeching in a noise that you fear may break the glass of crash. Those are the days where you're a little distracted, it's perhaps a little harder to uh, enjoy. But of course, these are just subjective things uh, and uh, tell us much more about ourselves, probably, uh, than about whether church has been good that day. So how do we know if uh, objectively a church is good or healthy? Perhaps is a better word to use. Well, here is a very brief, but I think probably much-loved passage in the book of Acts, showing us what a church looks like when the power and the presence of God's Spirit is at work. It looks a bit like this. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, last week we, uh, we looked at the first half of chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. We're going to return to it over lunch Uh, today. This uh, unique day in history, there's only been one, there'll never be another, when Jesus poured out his Spirit in fulfillment of Old Testament covenant promises. Uh, Plenty of passages throughout the Old Testament saying that God would pour out his Spirit to renew his people, and here is that day. And the chief outcome of that is that they would speak 
boldly. And um, if you weren't one here, the, the, the events of chapter 2 are memorable, this sort of sound like a violent wind roaring around, fire and flames uh, appearing all over people's heads. It's very dramatic, and, and the speech was extraordinary. Spectacular events. Uh, and yet, in this little passage, verses 42 to 47, when we see the church immediately afterwards, it's spectacularly ordinary. So here is the day after the unique day of history. And it's all pretty ordinary, really, verses 42 to 47, and yet it's also quite wonderful. Here is a church, we're told, verse 42, that were devoted to, well, four things. And we're just going to go through them. That's, it's not complicated this morning, I have to tell you that. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to the partnership, they were devoted to the sharing of lives, and they were devoted to the prayers. Four things. And we're just going to go through them. Uh, first, here are a church, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These believers then, they didn't say, well, yeah, that was a pretty dramatic day, wasn't it? And now we've got the Spirit, we don't need God's Word anymore. We don't need that. Uh, we don't need anyone to preach anymore because we've got the Spirit. They don't say that. This church was not anti-theology. Uh, it wasn't all into just purely mystical experiences. Being filled with the Spirit meant that they were now devoted to the words of the apostles, the words that we now have in the New Testament. So there they were. Uh, Peter would stand up and preach for two hours in the temple, and he'd sit down, exhausted after two hours of preaching, and the crowd said, we want James, we want James, or maybe John, I don't know, whatever order they went, and off they went again. I don't know how they, 3,000 probably didn't all fit into the temple at the same time, it was probably a shift pattern, church service after church service, you know, the, the apostles taking their turns to preach. But they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We said last, in previous weeks, the apostles then are those who were with Jesus throughout his ministry, were witnesses of his resurrection, and were personally chosen by him. Those are the three categories of being an apostle. You had to have been with him from the beginning of his ministry, personally chosen by him, a witness of his resurrection. So we don't have any like them now, not like those apostles and so because they're unique, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Ah, because that's the fulfillment of Joel. We looked at this last time, or we looked at it in more, more detail over lunch. But in Joel chapter 2, when the Spirit comes, there will be signs, wonders. And this, the apostles are doing those to authenticate their message. So here's the first thing in one sense, the, the first mark of a healthy church. It's devoted to the apostles' teaching, which you and I now have in the Scriptures. I said we just push at this a little bit. I, I say with no embarrassment or awkwardness that the Sunday sermon that we gather and hear together is the most important thing that you and I listen to all week long. Not because it's my voice, because it's not always me, by all accounts, of course. But it is the most important thing we listen to all week long. Because it is God himself addressing us through the words of his apostles and bringing it home by his spirit. 
There is nothing else like that. And we need it, because here is reality and here is truth, and it tears down the lies that you and I speak to one another, or speak to ourselves, the lies, whatever they may be, that we're not worth anything, that no one cares for us, that God doesn't care for us, or in fact that we're the most important person on the planet. It tears down the lies we tell to ourselves. It, it, it pulls apart the propaganda of the world, which says this is not very important. This is what brings us truth and reality in a way that nothing else does. So when God's people gather together and he addresses them, I think we're to expect it's the most significant half hour or the most important half hour that we listen to in the week. Now these, these, uh, this early church, and they, they were not willing to pull apart God's word and God's spirit. As spirit-filled believers, they were obsessed, devoted to the word of the apostles. And, and I hope you can see why that is. Because when God addresses us, it is his grace to us. It is his kindness, his generosity. God says, here is truth. And here is me addressing you. And here is what you need to know. And I'm saying it to you with real clarity. And if you, if you lose that, you have what certainly many in the Church of England are today, lost. What is God saying today? What is the Spirit of God saying to the world? Is it saying we're all one with the great earth force? Is it saying that there is no difference between Buddhism and Christianity? Is, is that what the Spirit of God is saying today? If you pull these two apart, God's Word and God's Spirit, you end up with a religion of works. It's man's quest. What is, what, what is God saying? What, what, is, what are we meant to do? It's a quest for God. It's a religion of works. Because if you hold them together, it is God's grace. Here I am. Here's what you need to know. You don't need to search for it. I'm telling you, it's a gift. It'll change you. You've got to hold those two together. This is God addressing, speaking to us, not communicating information, not explaining concepts. God addressing us. Creating life in us. Transforming us. Confronting us. So a healthy, spirit-filled church is devoted to the words of the apostles and is transformed by them because the Spirit is at work. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Second thing, they were devoted to partnership. The word is, is fellowship here. It's, you can translate it either way, and the New Testament translates it in, in both those ways. They were devoted to, verse 42, fellowship, partnership. I've gone for partnership because I think it summarizes better, perhaps, what they're doing, what you see them doing, verses 44 and 45. Here's how their partnership manifests. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Well, that's pretty generous. Don't notice a few things about this. this is, it's occasional and voluntary. It's voluntary giving for the relief of need. So this is not the taking up of regular giving for the ministry of the temple, the church. They're all converted Jews at this stage. They've all been giving their tithes for, for, for various things. This is additional to that. It's voluntary. It's occasional. It's for the relief of need. All of a sudden, they've got 3,000 converts staying in Jerusalem. What are we going to do with them all? Whoa, that's a pretty expensive sort of business. So uh, that's what it is. But one feature of these early chapters of Acts is and you get it repeatedly, a radically different approach to money and possessions. 
So again, just over the page, we'll, we'll get there in a few weeks' time, but chapter 4, verse 32, we're told pretty much the same thing again. Chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Oh, in verse 34, there was no needy among person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from their sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Do you see, that it's a radically different attitude to money and possessions. Not ours, God's, and we distribute them as is needed. But it's voluntary. It's occasional for the relief of need. But as God forms his new community... With this wonderful gospel message, and sort of dramatic signs and wonders, there's a real gritty change in people. It's down to earth, down to basic. This affects your wallet, he says, or we're told. But this particular, it's not regular giving, that's not what he's talking about here. Voluntary, occasional, for the relief of poverty. But let me practically say, I hopefully most here will know that as a church we run a deacon's fund for just such events, for the occasional relief of need on a short-term basis. So hopefully most will know, in this congregation, uh, those uh, administering it, uh, Jal Quinn, Adrian Valeriano, Carrie Dow. Now the hope would be, normally in a church like ours, that if there is a case of need, financial need, uh, people would talk about it in their small group, their home group, and it may well get addressed there, often in the needs are. Other times, the leaders of that group are probably encouraged and apply to the deacons fund, and there is a process to do that. And the deacons will offer practical support in budgeting. Financial gifts also offered for a limited period of time or for a specific need. Now, we only really chat about it uh, at Christmas and Easter um, and when the account has basically hit zero. We say, anyone want to put into the deacons fund? Um, we don't make a great song and dance about it, so there's never a huge amount of money in there because people do uh, take advantage. But look, if you want more details on how to actually gift into it, that there by the door is a Deacon's Fund leaflet. Seems like a good time to mention that. But I guess mostly we take from Acts 2 here is a more general attitude. Possessions, they're not mine. They belong to the Lord. I'm a steward of the car, the house, the whatever it is I've got. I'm not obliged to give it away, but I recognize that there may be times to do such a thing. Uh, and if others are in need, to sell something, to get rid of something for the sake of others. How do I best use the resources God has given me to serve his people and his kingdom? That's the attitude. So this church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the partnership, devoted to the sharing of lives. Or is this put here to the breaking of bread, verse 42? They're devoted to the breaking of bread. And verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I put here the sharing of lives because I don't think it's the Lord's Supper they're talking about. I might be wrong. But there's just no record historically of anyone else, anyone in the first two centuries of Christianity calling the Lord's Supper the breaking of bread. So I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about breaking bread. 
to eat, which you would do at every meal in the culture. I think that's right. They're probably talking about stressing that they shared meals together. Here's a group of people committed to doing life with one another. And so they meet, yes, centrally at the temple, but they meet informally in one another's homes. But for these people, even when they meet informally, there, there is a different dynamic. It isn't just a dinner party to talk about where your children are going to school. It's not just that, because verse 46, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So there's a joy, they're glad, there's a thoughtfulness, it's sincere, and they're praising God. So just a little encouragement that as church family, as we share lives together, well, sometimes, of course, we weep with those who weep and we mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice. But I guess the trajectory of the Christian life is to praise him. And to do that when we gather together, even informally. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the partnership, to the sharing of lives, to the prayers. Uh, yeah, to the prayers. Last of the four. Now, I've put it in those terms because that's literally what it says. Verse 42, they're devoted to prayer, we're told, but it does have the definite article, it is actually plural, so literally it is to the prayers. And the reason I think that's different is because he's not just saying, here's a group of people who said, well, let's go away and pray about that, but they were devoted to the prayers, as in times of set prayer. I've explained that badly. Do you see the difference? Not, uh, oh, here's an issue. Let's all go away and pray about it. But let's all gather together at set times and pray. They're devoted to the prayers, the times of prayer, is what he's saying. And certainly one mark of the early church is together prayer. Put a, a number of references down. Just scribbled on the sheet. 1, 4, 2, 42, 4, 24, 12, 5, 13, 2. It's emphasized that they gathered together to pray. And of course, Christians pray on their own, but the New Testament models together prayer as something different, something important. That's what the Spirit-filled church does. It does together prayer, as well as just all going off and praying. Look, there are lots of things that contribute to making a very healthy church, and most of them you can't really measure. You can't measure very easily how much people pray on one, for one another on their own. You can't really measure kind words. And, and, but two really, really easy ways to measure the health of a church, and they, you know, they're not, for, not infallible, but two easy ways. How many people gather to pray, and what's giving looking like? I mean, just, there's two very easy markers. Every so often... I will receive through the post uh, a, a, do you, a, a sort of load of documentation. Do you want to apply for this job? They're all speculative, a bit like oh, we all receive. Do you want to apply for this credit card? Uh, I get, do you want to apply for this job? And you get this, this bump of pack. Every church, when it's advertising for a new vicar, puts together a church profile, a parish profile, a 20-page document, all sorts of facts and figures. And um, they go quite quickly in the bin, apart from the things I nosily like to read are this. How many people in the church? How many people go to their prayer meeting? And what's their giving look like? It's just a very superficial, naughty snapshot. But it is quite interesting. You say, oh, well, yeah, this is a big church. Oh, yeah, look, there's about 900 go every Sunday. 
great. Oh, and, oh what about 40 go to their prayer meeting once a month? Um, oh, actually, they're, they're giving well, a lot of professional... Oh, interesting. Now, I'm sure there's all terrible reasons for making such a snap judgment, but a big crowd, tiny prayer meeting, oh, there's something not particularly healthy about that, not very spirit-filled about that. I don't know what to say to you and to me. Uh, what, about a quarter, about a third of the church come to prayer meetings. And there are all sorts of reasons why more people don't come. Someone's got to look after the kids at home. Some people have lockdowns at the office. Uh, some people are on planes to Geneva, whatever it is. There are always reasons, of course, of course. But here's just an encouragement. The, the early church were devoted to together prayer. It was important for them. Four things they were devoted to then. The apostles' teaching, partnership, sharing lives, together prayer. And the outcome is this. The Lord adds to their number. So end of 46, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This pattern of life was highly attractive. This church was not merely inward-looking and enjoying itself. Well, isn't it nice? That we, what, these apostles, they're terrific, and we, we love our meals together, and, oh, you're going to sell your field and give me some money. I like you. Not just inward-looking. They're clearly outward-facing as well. They knew that others needed to know what they'd been told, that there was forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit if you repent and trust in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, verse 47, the Lord added to the church those who are being saved. Because the New Testament doesn't recognize the Christian who's saved, who is not added to a church. You see, the two go hand in hand. You're saved, you join a church. It's just how the New Testament thinks. There is a devoted church. Let me try and wrap things together with three little words. A challenge, an encouragement, and hope. A challenge, an encouragement, hope. Here's a challenge, first of all. This is a lovely picture. I think most people would read these verses and say, well, who wouldn't want to be a part of this church? Sounds terrific. Uh, just sounds delightful. But of course, to be this sort of church takes commitment. It takes time. It takes a, a different attitude to your resources, financially, possessions, your calendar, your diary. You have to work to be this sort of lovely church. I was very struck this week reading again, uh, thinking about this, I'm reading again Mark 10. It's a parable of the rich man uh, who comes to Jesus and says, look, I, I, I want to become a believer. How do I do that? And Jesus says, oh, you know, just give up everything. And he can't, and he wanders away, and he's very sad about that. Peter proudly says, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. Aren't we magnificent? Uh, and Jesus makes this comment. I don't know if we've got it on the screen. Mark 10. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, none who has left home or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. 
homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. Not many here have given up homes, family, but some do. And I think the challenge for you and for me and for us as a church is that that's got to be true. That the person who's grown up in a Muslim family and becomes a Christian and their family are very unhappy with them says, I no longer see my family. I can't go home. But in this present age right now, I have a hundred times better in the church family and in the age to come eternal life. But in this present age, a hundred times as much. Oh, it's painful, the persecution. But it's worth it, even now. See, a church which looks like Acts 2 looks like this. Or the person who comes out of a sexually promiscuous lifestyle and says, I've become a Christian, and that, I think, now means that I live a celibate life without sex. Because that's what it seems to me the Bible is saying. But their testimony can be, I'm not going to satisfy my sexual desires but I am not missing out. Because even now in this life, I get a hundred times better than how I was living before. And in a city such as London, where more people are becoming Christians from different backgrounds, from Muslim backgrounds, from sexually debauched backgrounds, this has got to be true. Or they can't live the Christian life if they're unable to say, the family I've joined makes my life so much better. It's a challenge, isn't it? For us to be that sort of welcoming, to be that sort of generous. It's a challenge. Let me give you an encouragement alongside that. Here was an email I received uh, it was sent in about two weeks ago. And it was an email addressed to the pastoral leadership and all in Christchurch Mayfair, so that's you. So given it was a letter written to everyone, I thought I should read it. It was from um, a father of uh, a girl who had been a student here. To the pastoral leadership and all in Christchurch Mayfair, I send this because I wanted to say a huge thank you to you all, for absolutely everything you've done for our daughter. The blessing and help you all have been to her during her university years has been incredible. It seems to me you are what a church should be. Moving to London to study a few years ago, we didn't know how she'd get on, especially due to her health problems. What we didn't know was that God had something special lined up for her, and that was Christchurch Mayfair. She loved her university studies, but she loves your church so much more. And stemming from that, we've seen her love for God grow in ways we never expected. 
The welcome she received, the love she experienced, the fellowship she benefited from, and the hospitality of being looked after by so many when she needed accommodation has been incredible. What you are doing, please keep doing, for it's beautiful. It's what I imagine a church should be like when I read the scriptures. Like any parent, we don't like to let go of our children, no matter their age. For us, it was especially hard, owing to her health problems. But we've been comforted and blessed and excited for her with the church family God has given her in London. In closing, be so encouraged with what you're doing. It's making an impact. Keep doing what you're doing and keep serving the Lord. Thank you. It's a lovely email, isn't it? Now, obviously, the bloke's not been to our church. He doesn't know how bad it is, really. <laughs> and the thing I enjoyed most about that letter was I didn't know half of what he was talking about. I think, great. Great, this just goes on. It's just what goes on normally. Why, very wonderful. So alongside a challenge, be encouraged. Uh, and last, then, a final word of hope. These believers then were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the partnership, to sharing of lives, to praying, and, and the Lord was adding to their number. It is his work. This is Jesus' work. Uh, and if you're just visiting today, um, you might think, oh, that's interesting. Uh, if you're visiting and not a Christian, you might think it's quite interesting. But, but let me say to you very clearly, these things make no sense without Jesus. You might look on and think, well, why are they doing that? Why would a church share their possessions like that? Why would they be so obsessed with words spoken by apostles 2,000 years ago? It makes no sense without Jesus. Even some of us who are Christians here are thinking, well, yeah, but I don't feel devoted to any of these things. Well, you need to pray that the Spirit is more at work in your life and you need to walk in step with Him by spending more time with Jesus and listening to His promises to you. So you can live this way. But it struck me that without Jesus, these four things, they're a little bit like observing a silent disco. You ever been to a silent disco? They're very trendy these days. Uh, and if you go to a silent disco and observe from the outside, everyone is there with headphones on, and they're making a lot of noise. And the music is coming into the headphones. And you observe you know, whatever it is, 200 people in a room, and all at the same time going, <laughs> way! And you think, why are they doing that? That's very strange behavior. There is nothing in this room that makes me want to... Um, and how do they all know to cheer at the same time? Because they're listening to the same thing. You may not hear it, but they're listening to music. And you can observe these four and think, well, why would people do that? Or why don't I feel like doing that if I'm a Christian? Well, because you're not listening to the same thing as everyone else. You're not listening to Jesus. Without him, it's all a bit weird. It's quite nice. You can see the people are enjoying themselves, but you don't really get it without him. And again, for those of us who are Christians and think, yeah... Devoted, a bit strong. I quite like the apostles' teaching. I don't mind the partnership. Every now and then I will share my life. And once a year I go to the prayers. And that's, that's fine, isn't it? 
devoted a bit too strong. Well, to push an analogy, you just need to turn up the music on Jesus. It's when the people heard of him, and it's when the people heard what he had done for them, that they said, well, what do we do? How do we live in response? So there is hope if you think, well, I'm quite a long way from this. Just go back to him. And that's how we become a church which is devoted. We get some things right, we get some things wrong. Plenty of reasons to be encouraged. But to grow ever more like this, we go back to him. Let me lead us in prayer together. Father, thank you for recording this for us, this delightful picture of a church filled with the Spirit, devoted to these different things. And our prayer would be that we become like this in all its facets. We don't just want to be devoted to one thing but ignore the others. In all its facets, we do want to be a church devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to your word, devoted to sharing amongst ourselves, our lives, possessions and property as is needed, devoted to praying for your work. We long to be a people devoted to these things so we see you adding to our number people being saved. So Father, help us. Would your spirit be at work in us? Would you remind us of all that Christ has done for us, that he is devoted to us and has shown that devotion by coming, by dying, for people like us. And in seeing him, would you liberate us to be this sort of wonderful church? More and more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.